After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Here we are. I'm Peter. Here we are. And you're here, Lama Surya Das. All here. Oh, God. We haven't totally. seen each other in, in some time. We spent a little time on the phone the other day. But, geez, the busy life uh, syndrome is uh, it's tough. But I'm glad we got this opportunity. So welcome. Thank you, Raghu. And thank you for doing this and being here now with us all. I'm thankful too, not just because it's Thanksgiving, there's a lot to be grateful for. Yes, absolutely. And um, and getting together is one of the greatest things of all to be grateful for. For me, um, getting together is the way home, and gratitude is part of the way home, and getting together you know, with others and getting together ourselves, integrating all the parts of ourselves and Getting together is the way home, mm. and awakening together, loving yeah, together. The together, I, I'm. Yeah. I, I have been experiencing together. experiencing that in spades lately because being at different retreats or being with group uh, groups of people and uh, seeing the power of that uh, is yes. extraordinary. I mean, it's extraordinary. I have to say, it's a miracle. It's mysterious. It's a miracle. Totally. And I don't even believe in miracles that much, but it's a miracle. It's oh. miraculous. It's like when you see a child being born. What's the big deal? It happens all the time. But oh. when you're there, whether it's your child or not, unbelievable. And if it is your child, it's like the most unbelievable thing in your life. I'm not going to believe you around the fact of, uh, well, I don't really believe in miracles that much. Just I know. Say, I don't know what to on. say. So I was just flapping my lips. Yeah. You know, I talk about you. I say. There's a whole miracle of love book. There must be a lot of miracles in there about Maharaji. Yeah. Or and how about the uh, 16th uh, Karmapa book? Which yeah. He was miraculous. Is fantastic. And I saw him do a miracle. Yes. Yeah. And we'll talk about that. But I tell everybody. The most graced person on the planet I happen to know. His name is Lama Suryadas. I, I no, I often say this. Really? Nobody, no, I, seriously, nobody has had the grace to be with so many bodhisattvas, so many gone beyond. Not not living in duality, but still maintaining Thank a you. body. The best way you can put it, I guess, is a siddha. Yes, well, I'm so, grateful and fortunate. Geez. And I'm like Forrest Gump yeah. of the Dharma. 
uh, somehow without knowing it, I was always there. Yeah. I'm even here now. Uh, you know, that's great. here now. Yeah. It's no small thing. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Oh, God. So uh, we. And I'm grateful. Turkeys and all, all, nut birds and vegetarians and all, <laughs> vegans and all. <laughs> um. <laughs> So anyhow, we talked, I just, I wanted, I've been very hot on, on a subject and uh, we've, we've done some talking about it, but it's the way that we're stuck as Krishnas calls it, the movie of me. So I've been doing a lot of investigation with different people about, it's funny, I, do you know uh, Dan Siegel? Sure. Yeah. Uh, He's wonderful. I only met him thinker the other day for the first time. Yeah. Writer. Wonderful. Yeah. And real heart. Scientist, yeah. heart and smart. Yep, exactly. And so I, he has a book called uh, Presence, and it's wonderful. And, and at the end, I'm reading the, He goes, yeah, what we need to do is get from <laughs> me to we. In fact, I yeah. have a term. He calls it mui. It's <laughs> so, funny. It's so good. I have a whole book about that, but I didn't think of the mui. Yeah. <laughs> M-W-E. Yeah, right. Isn't that great? But well, but it's hard to get from me to we, since you know how does that affect me? What about me? It seems to be like our basic mantra. Yeah, and and no matter what slogans you can put out there, I call it spiritual slogans or quotes, and a lot mm-hmm. of them are great. Uh, it's very very difficult. The actual uh, yeah in motion on the ground things that we can do i mean the patterns are so 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 difficult so that's when i thought i got to talk to Siri Das because we talked about uh one thing that that uh, sometime back and you said it's a matter of developing our interior self and i think if you talk about the big anti- antidote in the sky for the movie of me it is nothing more or less than that. But yet, you talk about yeah. it a little bit, though. Well, probably I'm thinking about in t- the lack of interiority today and the extreme, not really extroversion, but materialism and turning outward for what we think we want and need and stimulus or satisfaction on many levels. So the interior self and whether, you know, not to parse words, whether Buddhism says there's no self or not, you know, the interior, polishing the pearl, as the Sufis call it, 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 it's the better angels of our true nature. That's all words you use. And as my father would say, you know, of course, I hope you'll be a doctor and help people. But really, the most important thing for a Jewish man is to be a mensch. <laughs> so I didn't yeah. entirely subscribe or get Judaism or God when I was a teenager and getting by mitzvah and going to through the motions of the synagogue and all that. But my father was a mensch and, you know, it, there were some mensches around and uh, I think becoming a mensch is very important, and that's kind of polishing the pearl or cultivating the interior self. And a mensch doesn't just mean a real man. It means a real person. Solid. Uh, you know, a solid person. Grounded, yeah. you know, like yeah. authentic. Yeah. You can still make mistakes, but they're authentic mistakes. You did your best. You made a mistake. You learned from it. So nobody's perfect, but uh, but God, if you want to put it that way. So polishing the pearl uh, one of my friends, a learned rabbi or former rabbi, calls it the uh, unique self. It doesn't mean that 
we're not connected or similar just means that it's like the one is unique. And then there's the many, that's all of us and the 100,000 million things. But the unique self, it's the unique, there's no other, there's no otherness in that state. That's the point, whether you call it non-duality or oneness or just inexpressible, ineffable. Yeah. And that's the that's the inner self, higher self, true being, our Buddha nature to talk Buddhist jargon, the Godhead, the uh, you know the inner light which is everywhere, not just in me or you, but in everyone yeah. and everything. Yeah, and that is like the unique self. That's in the one thing that's in everyone and everything. If you're really secular, if you're really scientific, you might call it something like the animal the life force you know Taoism calls it the Tao that's like the power or the force yeah it's the life force. we just did um, we just Star Wars calls it the force yeah with a capital F you know align yourself with the force and you've got and it, it's all you it's all yours and pay it forward yeah we just did a a, a retreat we do these Ramdas immersion treats in 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 Ojai earlier this month and uh, so Ramdas, you know, had done these talks at uh, Naropa, you know, when Trumpa opened. And they're pretty great talks around the Gita. And in this one, it was how to, uh, the cultivation of Brahman. So, which is just another word for everything you just, all the different ones you just described, right? But mm-hmm. but right. I liked it because it didn't have any baggage somehow, you know. It's it's well, it's archaic in a certain way, but it was be- yeah. it was beautiful. It, yeah, it is beautiful. Brahma is beautiful, and that's why, as I have said before, probably even on your podcast, Raghu or mine, it's hard to tell who's who's is yeah, who's <laughs> who's on first. Yeah. Zabin Castell wonderfully said, and it's worth listening to on YouTube. Um, Brahma, Guru, and Atma are one. Yeah. That's what it says in the ancient scriptures. Yeah. God, teacher, and the yogi or the practitioner or the seeker yeah. are one. So that's awesome. And God is, Brahma is the formless, pervading, and be, transcendent, yet it, over everything, yet imminent in all things. Yeah. Uh, no. And Guru is the door to that. And the, the Jivatma, or our own unique self, is part of that, like a wave in the sea. It's not separate from the sea, but you can discern the many different hundreds of millions of waves. I want to take this, run it back to uh, the ground, on the ground reality. We're back to, here we are, okay. we wake up, and you know, the star of the movie, producer, director, and, you know, we're, we're right. right there, and we got an agenda. And, okay, so we're talking about uh, w- the steps one would take to even open to moving interior moving which to me right away and this is what we talk about mm-hmm. obviously in the most the simple term of mindfulness these days which has got so many different um it's turning into yeah. guru or god like yeah. it's just it's, it's just another commodity like another compassionate commodity. conservatism yeah, yeah of right. Bush, of <laughs> ruins it compassion word yeah, right, exactly <laughs> but the the reality is how do we start to even get on it because i think you got to get really honest yeah, with yourself that's right? a great question well getting honest is one of the first things 
and turning your heart towards the truth. Turning your mind and heart inward means toward deeper, means towards reality, not just narcissism or inside yourself. And then you see, you know, what do you really want or why? What motivation, level of motivation and intention and integrity and character? Not just, should I close my eyes and meditate? When you first asked, you know, what would be like an on the ground first steps, I was thinking, well, it's easy to say, close your eyes and take a breath. Not bad. It's easy to say, say a prayer that you like. You know, not everybody likes prayers, but many people do have a prayer they like. It's easy to say things like that. Or touch the earth, look at the sky, do a good deed. But I'll go back to what I said uh, first. I think it's about really looking into our motivation and intention and what are yeah. we looking for yeah. and need. And that's like turning the heart mind towards the truth, towards reality, and away from not just lying and outer deviousness, but towards authenticity, towards truth-telling, towards integrity, towards being yourself, towards naturalness rather than standing on tiptoe, looking down on others, thinking you're higher, you know, which is just pride and exhausting, or any other kind of um, ego strategy to put ego ahead. Yeah. Well, um, you know what we're doing in this, uh, we're doing a retreat next week in, in Maui with Ramdas that we do our winter thing, as you know, uh, and uh, Krishna Das. And you're going tomorrow, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Everybody over. told me she's going tomorrow. Jack Cornfield yeah, and a whole bunch of a whole gang, <laughs> gang of Buddhists Bhaktis. being overwhelmed yeah. by them this time. It's, it's, it might be a gang war of Buddhists of who's Buddhist holier than thou. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyhow, the topic, what we're going to talk about, and to me, it's a big antidote to this stuck-on, uh, you know, self, um, prepossessed self, shall we say, generosity. That's what we're talking about. And I think that that there's a way to develop that act and have it certainly in consciousness, and and it really helps identify your motivations so clearly mm -hmm. so instantly yes. even on the smallest level right have you thought yes. it's not it's a very clear mirror yeah of what's going on internally and where you're holding back or what you expect in return or the strings attached and expectations and so on um pure generosity gives with that expectation of return that's what it, it says in all the world's religions, unconditional love. And um, Buddhism is called dana paramita. In Christianity, caritas, self-giving, not investing, hoping you'll get a better life in the afterlife, or in Buddhism and Hinduism, so not just giving, hoping you'll get a better rebirth later, uh, not giving with strings attached to get your name on the building or the wing of the hospital you, you know, <laughs> donating to. But what it comes down to is more like if you have kids or you mentor young people, there's a part of us that is pure and hopes that they will, you know, like succeed or whatever you call it, have an even better life than us. And that's pure generosity and how you live up to that and not feel uh, 
it's a zero sum game how you could feel like the more you give the more we all get yeah and 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 not and do your duty and don't ex be over invested in the result. in the return yeah. as it says in the bhagavad gita yeah. yeah krishna says to arjuna you think you're doing this no i'm doing it all and he gives him a vision of the whole cosmos being born and dying and arjuna doesn't want to go into the battle with his relatives and which is just a metaphor for the interior bat battlefield mm. and this is not just in asia dostoevsky called the, the life a spiritual life the interior battlefield and he understood mm. that writer and this is something the thinkers and and um, seekers truth seekers have known for millennia and and this is a fight well worth having. To get, I like is. this whole. It's the only fight worth having yeah. when we want to be more peaceful. Yeah. So I love the imagery, though. We're going to get out there on this battlefield, and we're going to get after because well, it's it's so true. It takes effort, and it takes it, right. it takes audacity and courage, and many other things mm. that we don't always associate with nonviolence, but we should. We could. Gandhi was very audacious and bold, and he did time yep. in prison, mm -hmm. as did other saints. Uh, Jesus uh, among them. Yeah. When, when they interrogated him, he didn't answer. He said, "You say so." Yeah. And he took he took the result of that, and he ultimate you know, generosity to, God, to God's will. Yeah. Ultimate. It's caritas is giving up yourself. Yeah. Not just dying, but even you know there were worse things than dying. So, in, but in a little, get to the little guy, us little guys on a day to day. Yeah, us little guys. Us little guys. So we we look out and and we see that there may be some need or the something simple mm -hmm. like picking up somebody's something yeah. they draw, whatever it might be. Right. Or picking up litter. And as soon as you do that. You get the intention to do it. It come. It springs pretty spontaneously if it's pure. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you do that, you are no longer thinking of me. Um, me right. is gone. And, and yeah. so my little premise here is that, which I'm going to bring up at the retreat, is generosity, aside from all these other incredible aspects of it, is uh, it's like a, a fulcrum to just move out of that. Mm -hmm. From me, me to we. Yeah, me to we. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah. There's no I in Mui. Yeah. <laughs> no I in so, Mui, that's good. So as a Buddhist scholar, I just want to point out what many people would know, but of the six or the ten transcendental virtues of the Bodhisattva that leads to enlighten, full enlightenment, the first one is not meditation. Hmm. It's not ethics and, and morality. It's generosity. Really? Dana Paramita is the first of the ten or six mm. paramitas, panacean virtues mm. of the bodhisattva. Oh, and that means giving without expecting in return. And that's really a challenge. Just like it's hard to parent without expecting them to bring back the results that we want. Mm. As if we know. And it's not Lord Krishna or the higher power that's, quote, directing things. Yeah. Of course, in the absolute level, everything is unfolding and is just as it needs to be. Hmm. And will these conditions help shape us to fit into the puzzle? Sometimes God squeezes us. That's all, as Father Thomas Keating said recently. I love to, that. You told me that bit. the other day. And that's I an love example it. of the closeness. That's so But great. also the painful, the birth pains mm. Mm. of giving mm. birth to, to Mui.
Yeah. <laughs> Not just me and I, which is painful enough. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna owe a royalty there to Doctor Dan. I'll well, have to tell him about that. Oh, so one other thing, I was uh, on the same subject. Uh, I was talking to my friend David Silver the other day, and one of our mind rolling fans who we love, Glenn, uh, sent this thing. Uh, Robert uh, Thurman and Sharon were doing something somewhere, I think with Mark Epstein. Uh, and so David and I went through. So it was about dependent origination. So there's probably the maybe most known, one of the most known terms of, of uh, Tibetan Buddhism. And at the same time, completely misunderstood and yes. very few teachers in my mind, can really get to the core of that and, and really give enough of it so that you can actually go, oh, oh wait a minute here, in my yeah, awareness you, day to day. So, right. uh, yeah, I want you please go for it, and then I'll share. I can't. You can't. I've okay. never given a Dharma talk on Praticha Samudpada, interdependent origination. But um, Fred Van Orman of Switzerland does. And uh, Who is there it? are 12 links of interdependent, he's a Vipassana teacher oh. and Tibetan Buddhist, but the, the, this 12 interdependent links or dependent origination, which just means that nothing happens in isolation, that it's all connected. And it's not just one cause brings one effect. There's, you know, a whole chain it, it takes. But does, let me ask something. He understands this and he teaches this, Fred. The okay. twelve links, well, but I always joke and say he's the only one that can understand this because he's Swiss. <laughs> he, his father was probably a clockmaker, yeah. <laughs> so he understands the twelve links. Right. Us Americans, if it's more than three, we can't do it. Okay, so let, but uh, it's nothing about. Listen to this: Is it a so nothing about that intrinsically? We are Buddha mind. We are true nature, and yes. that's the only way that we develop these patterns and create the karma is by reacting to all of what comes in. Yes. Okay. Right. I'm still good so, there. So in a way, karma means conditioning or reactivity, uh -huh. not just cause and effect. So in the 12 links, perhaps the most important lesson that I've understood and used from it is that it be, there, there's some point between, I don't know, four or five and six o'clock on the 12, the circle, where it's contact, like a stimulation, sensation, oh. and then feeling of liking or disliking. If right there you have the mindful awareness to not react habitually with a knee-jerk reaction from contact to sensation to feeling, somewhere between sensation and the reaction of liking and disliking, which leads to attraction, attachment, or aversion yeah. based on the illusion yeah. of ignorance or separateness, that's where you can break the chain. Beautiful. That's where you, can, you find freedom right there in the moment, not in the next life, not after you do it uh, 10,000 hours. It might take you some time to get used to this, but that's where freedom <laughs> Okay. Is found wild understatement there. Okay, well that's it. Well, I'm saying people, you know, secular scientists, social scientists say you can master any art or craft in ten thousand hours, and they uh, test oh. meditators who've meditated ten thousand hours with the neuroscience, you know, the fMRIs and all. Uh -huh. but 
it doesn't take that long if you can get a few of these pith instructions or tips and pointers. And that's one that I finally gleaned from trying to study this interdependent origination. The Dalai Lama provoke, provoked this by say, uh, thought by, I asked him why his school emphasized shunyata, the shining void, the vast emptiness yes. so much. It sounds so negative, but it's the via negativa of Meister Eckhart. It's really the fullness, but the womb of emptiness. Yeah. But why they teach sunyata so much? And he said, the best way to understand this great sunyata is to understand the interdependent origination of things. Wow. Like how many causes it took for us to get together. Otherwise, it wouldn't happen. Right. Or the table or whatever in front of you has so many causes and pieces. So that's the meaning of no separate individual permanent self. In other words, what about me is really what about us and the whole thing? Right. You know, what does it mean to me? Like my grandmother would say when there was some news, how is this going to affect the Jews? <laughs> like a Holocaust survivor. Oh. You know, if the Dodgers won the pennant. <laughs> She would say, how is this going to affect the Jews or the people in the Bronx? <laughs> going to like, you know, gonna, I don't know, kick us out of Brooklyn? Because she was a Holocaust survivor. She had PTSD and nobody called it that. <laughs> yeah, right. oh, so when terrible. we understand it's really about us, hmm. not just how it affects me, yeah. then we, right. you know, it's Thich Nhat Hanh brilliantly called it the Sangha of all beings, not just the Sangha or the Satsang of the Buddhists mm. or the believers mm. or the members mm. of all beings, not just the human beings. So the whole, the whole, and we get shaped by these conditions to fit into this puzzle. Like that's the great perfection teaching of Dzogchen. We're all part of it with non-dual Vedanta. So, uh, Robert, in this thing, so one thing I picked up on out of this thing around, and that, that was beautiful, depending on origination, and I'm glad I was in the ballpark. That makes me feel like, okay. Uh, and he said, you know. It's not important for you to feel okay. That's what you were just saying. It's important for all to be okay. How can I feel okay when, you know, those forest fires have people wearing gas masks in Berkeley and all over California and in paradise, there's still hundreds of people missing. Mm. And now there's floods. But anyway, I'm just exaggerating and I bantering, poking my old friend, Raghu Vidradas. Yeah, no, you, Mitch Marcus <laughs> from Montreal. Okay. This is where we know each other too long. Um, so, <laughs> so what he said is, of, uh, so the cause of suffering, what's the cause of this and that? It's ignorance. But that means that it's unreal because I think it's bad because I don't understand right. its true nature. This is Robert. I misknow it. And also ignorance, right. this is the greatest line for me, doesn't just mean I don't know something, right? It means I'm wrongly knowing something. Yeah, and misknow. then Misknowing. And you start but, to think of the enormous amount of mis misknowing that right. is going on. And talk yes. about delusion and the movie of me that no wonder you miss knowing. No wonder why we have to keep going to the movies again and again until we learn the lesson or we get left back and we have to repeat the, the, the year in school or we have to get reborn if we don't get it this time. That's more like Eastern thinking. Yeah. So miss knowing. But the example often given is like if you're in the dark and you see something on the ground that looks like a snake, you jump. 
But then when you on further examination, you find out it's just a twig, a branch, or, or a rope. So the snake was unreal, but was the fear real? So you have to say, so the fear is real enough. So if you people are suffering, if your children are having a nightmare, you try to wake them up. If you can't wake them up, you know they're going to wake up in the morning and you don't spend the whole night, night, sorry, you don't spend the whole night fretting. Right. So there's a notion of the ongoing evolution of, quote, consciousness or being, if you like. So in one way, everything changes. And in the other way, the more it changes, the more it stays the same, as the French say. And in Buddhism, that would be the absolute reality or truth never changes but the relative there's nothing that doesn't change in the relative yeah nothing that doesn't change yeah which is yeah another another reason for the movie of the me 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 right hold on man we can't change hold on no no yeah and the more we do the same thing we do we dig our ruts deeper just like wheels spinning on ice or mud doesn't help you get out yeah so you, you have to change exponentially and make a leap sometimes a leap of faith or some other leap of strength or learn how to, to jump or leap better or get a handhold and, you know, get helped out or something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have a question for you. Why do I love Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche so much? Because he's so beautiful. He has, a, it says right there, because he is the heart treasure of the enlightened ones. That's the name of the book. Yeah. It's like, I love Nimkaroli Baba so much because he treated everybody like God, the old people that had been there 50 years with parents, with his disciples, and the new ones like us that wandered in, you know, hippies looking for some sweets or some <laughs> a bed or we didn't know what we were looking for we were 20 years old at least i was mm-hmm. dingo kinsey rinpoche a dalai lama says and you can see this on film in his uh in the movie about dingo kinsey rinpoche my teacher one of my main zogchen teacher he dalai lama says that he's kinsey rinpoche was his guru and he said that he was uh the padmasambhava guru rinpoche the founder of Tantric Buddhism in Tibet incarnate. So I don't know. Wow. That's a little outer, but that's why. That's not just he, he was a good guy, or yeah, he was well, learned, I, or he was nonviolent, or you know he was a nice grandfatherly uh, master. He's but a, he could really awaken people, and he dedicated every moment to that and to helping people in you know an ultimate way, not just teaching information, but pointing out the way to liberation and really nirvanic peace and fulfillment. But he seemed like a great combination. I saw the film, so I get some little mm-hmm. feel, and yeah, it just, yeah. All, it's all mindful of what I what we know, you know, in terms of the, right. the big... Of course, because it's universal. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. but he seemed to be a great combination of absolute no bullshit on any level mm-hmm. and joy humor. Like, he, he looked like fun. He was having fun. He was fun. He was fun. Well, because he was a jolly llama. He was, yeah. He had found peace himself, and he saw everybody as like grandchildren. <laughs> yeah. And when he wasn't that old, there's a story from Tibet where um, somebody, uh, the Dalai Lama or somebody asked the other great llama, are there any great llamas over there in eastern Tibet, which, you know, in the old days was so far. You can only get there by walking or by horse, and yeah. no, there were no maps and no telephones. 
and somebody said, um, there's a tall one that's pretty good living in a cave. This is like the way the Dalai Lama and his buddies, you know, the high lamas talked, you know. There's a tall one living in a cave. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty <laughs> good. about 40 or 30 or 40 years old then. He oh. was already pretty, pretty good. Oh, my. So, he, but he did live in a cave on and off, you know, and for 22 years. And that's not the only thing he did. He was very learned. He had a wife. He had children. He has grandchildren. His grandson runs and is the you know abbot of the monastery in Nepal that was rebuilt from the one destroyed in Tibet. Hmm. And he has some protégés like uh, Venerable Lama Matthew Ricard, who's a philanthropist and a social activist all over the world, as well as a monk and a, a scholar mm. and trying to preserve this endangered culture. Yeah. So, so I, I, I want That's why we love him so much. And he welcomed everybody. Mm. And he was a nice guy. I mean, that sounds so cheap. A no big deal. There's a lot of nice guys. He was a nice guy cubed. <laughs> yeah. he a nice guy with no. He seemed egoless. He filled up the right. whole room with that energy, right. but it wasn't really uh, about him at all, ever. Yeah, right. We know that. All right. So, everybody out there, you want to get an idea of him? This is from from this book. Uh, but it is in this degenerate age that we have reached the peak of illusion. People have long forgotten the purity of the golden age. They disregard. Here's what we're doing, folks. Disregard their future lives and are preoccupied only by immediate gratification, unreliable and capricious. They bury the Dharma in a great, under a great heap of harmful and negative actions. The world and beings change direction every moment like stalks of wheat swaying to and fro in the wind, and what was true this morning is untrue by this evening. Ultimately, rain, snow, hail, heat, and cold upset the natural course of the seasons. Seeing all this, we must understand that there is no point in being excessively glad when something good happens to us, as it may well turn into the opposite at any time. And we must understand there is no point in being too depressed by bad circumstances, as our difficulties are minute compared to those endured by countless beings in the lower realms. Wow. Okay? Wow. Well, there's a lot in there to unpack and to reread and to think about. I know. Every paragraph of this book yeah. is like that. So that's the hard treasure of the enlightened ones. That's a great book. I want to say, uh, he, you know, you're an old radio guy and you love books and I love books. But um, for maybe you middle generations, you can get a DVD. I know this is also anachronistic. Called, it's a film called Brilliant Moon about Kin mm, Kinsey Rinpoche. Fantastic. Probably, you can probably download it from those places where you get things on the web. Brilliant Moon by uh, about Dingo Kinsey Rinpoche by mm. Nathan Tencholing, and it's an authentic life of the guru with uh, a little bit of teaching, some inspiration, a lot about Himalayan Buddhism and Tibetan refugees. And it's a beautiful story about his gurus his three gurus who he considered or had a vision of them merging into one and coming into his heart. So in the visual media, you can do that. And they did that with sort yeah. of animation. Yeah. So it's like a little guided visualization with animation. It's cool. 
Yeah, it's really brilliant beautiful moon, movie. But which is his name? Brilliant Moon. Yeah, Rabsel Dawa. That's his personal name. Yeah. And uh, since we're on this kind of uh, subject of movies, so one of his disciples is called Zangsar Kinsey Rinpoche. Kinsey, what? Jamian Kinsey, and he made the movie The Cup about oh. little monks playing soccer in his monastery that won an award like best first film at Cannes Film Festival or something. Mm. So these, you know, old Tibetan masters have disciples who are actually functioning and living and bringing things into the mainstream, mm. education and spiritual teachings and charitable projects, edu- uh, translating all the uh, world scriptures and things like that. Mm. Yeah, we're, and cleaning by the way, cleaning up the Himalayan environment, et cetera. We'll put the links up on the mind rolling page on the Be Here Known Network with this edition and people you'll be able to just get over there, yes. including the heart treasure, the enlightened one, uh, which uh, is Dilgo Kensi. But um, so aside from... But he's not the only one, you know. Everybody seems to have an only way, but there are many only ways. What do you mean only ways? He's got a great you know. way. That's all. I, yeah, that's why I, I love so him. I'll say I, so. He's my teacher, so it's the best. Yeah. But it's right. the best for me. No, you say it's the best for everybody. You know, Karmapa's disciples say he's the best and the greatest. He's and the then best and the greatest the too. Yeah, or... or um, you know, Maharaji Nim Karoli Baba, he is the, the best and the greatest. He's the only one. Sabek. Well, he's not, he's the only, he's saying there is only one. There's well, only Well, that's what one. I'm saying. Yeah. And we're on the same page. That's the only but way. But it's like delighting. It. It's like delighting and, and it's like going and, and uh, there's Hagen Doss, there's, you know, Ben and Jerry's. It's, a, yeah. yeah. It's there's just, many flavors. Yeah. But, They're all sweet. But here's something. Okay. Again, in, in Isn't the, there a song about that in your bhakti tradition of Hanuman? Something like th- these names where are did sweet, you get like the, ladus. Yeah, yeah. The names on my tongue, the where names of God or the names of the gurus are sweeter than ladus, the sweetest of us mm. Indian edible sweets. So furthering this developing our interior self. So it's all right. So we've talked about generosity. We've talked about honesty. We talked about intention. Uh, these are the things that once we turn in that direction that will mm-hmm. keep the m- momentum, yes. shall we say. And, and deepening s- our, our soul and our search and sort of elevate our spirit. Yeah. So And connect he, us with others. Here is him talking, again, you know, he's so no bullshit thing. And you go, holy shit. In past lives and in this life until now, we have brought harm to others countless times, okay, by lying to them, cheating them, stealing from them, bringing ruin upon them, assaulting them, killing them, and all other kinds of wrongdoing. This accumulated negativity is what has kept us trapped in samsara illusion, and it is now the chief hindrance to our progress on the path. It sustains the two kinds of obscuration, okay, and that's a great, you know, a mm-hmm. really great word to really understand in terms of this development of our interior self, which fall between us and the experience of the Buddha nature. Obscuration right. by emotions and obscurations of what can be known. I think, let's pull that apart a little bit. Uh, right, that's what I was thinking. So the two obscurations, and the first one are the kalashas, or the conflicting emotions, the kalashas, the, fi- the poisons. 
So the notion is these are not just intrinsic defilements or original sin. The notion here in Vajrayana non-dual Buddhism is original goodness. And these bad karmic acts kind of obscure, like if you get intoxicated or, you know, you drive through, uh, I don't know, landslide, your windshield gets obscured. It doesn't mean the inside is ruined. So you can't see. So the first of the two is the kalashas, it's called in the original Buddhist language, the negative emotions or defilements or negativities. And ignorance is one of the emotions, so we're not really talking about feelings. Emotions is not the right word, but obscurations is, or defilements is probably better. Or conflict, inner conflicts. And the second one is obscurations to uh, seeing clearly or to wisdom eye. What did that, the translation you read said, obscurations to higher knowledge, I think. So that's about truth and insight and realization and wisdom. And those are the two things that in Buddhism we try to um, develop and cultivate, purifying the obscurations that cloud our vision and seeing things as they are, not as they ain't. Okay, let's talk about what are we going to do here? And, you know, we want to share, I mean... We, we, you and I, you uh, have spent a lot of time. We can talk about meditation. You've, you've done tremendous practice in that area. And I, some, and, um, but practice. I mean, because we keep talking about, okay, so here we're dealing with obscurations of different sorts, Galatians, and what, so we have a certain momentum that we've developed through everything we've talked about so far. And now mm -hmm. we're at the point where these obscurations, not seeing clearly, and being at at the at the whim yeah. of, of habitual Getting patterns conflicts and conflicts and, and all of that habitual reaction patterns. Where's the okay? Stop. And between between contact and sensation, mm -hmm. and feeling reaction judgment like liking and disliking, and bringing the wedge of mindful present awareness to that point so we don't just react with knee-jerk habitual reactions and get the same results, like re retaliating or road rage because somebody cut us off. And we take a breath or count to 10 or you know feel our body or our, our breath in our abdomen so that we bring the attention we collect ourselves rather than focusing on the object you know the the, uh, the driver that cut us off because in fact we don't really know what they're doing what we see is that their car got in front of our car we don't know if they have a woman trying to give birth in the back seat mm. or a bleeding child in the car that they're rushing to the emergency room we don't really know yeah, yeah. so you take a breath, you know, and you, road rage doesn't do you any, any good anyway. So you feel the anger, but then you look into other ways to process it, not just re retaliating in kind. So, so you feel in your body integrated healthily, and maybe you put it into some, maybe you shout in the car, maybe you uh, sing, you know, some kind of uh, funny song, or, or you curse, you know, or you shout. Yippee-ki-yay, mofo, like in, you know, the Bruce Willis movie, and you get the energy out because anger is just an energy. 
it doesn't have to devolve into violence and action. There, there was that. Uh, who told me this? Duncan, Duncan, right? Trussell uh -huh. told me. Uh, no, I'm sorry. David Silver told me my my other podcast buddy. Um, somebody he read this. Somebody uh, got into a road rage thing, and actually a woman, and shot and killed the other person, and uh -huh. then her after she woke up from whatever delirium she went into to yeah. do something like that she was <laughs> you know extremely extremely uh, beyond uh right. consolable and then so we started talking about okay well that's you created that's some like temporary insanity yeah. that's what these yeah it's conflicting yeah, but, emotions do but you temporary created insanity. something and then i said well let's go way back we're not killing people but we're getting cut right. off and let's go way back. And we're not we're not even doing what you just said. You, what, what, what's going on? Yeah. You know, we're right. not screaming uh, uh, epithets, but inside ourselves, we're going. No, inside we are. Inside we are. And, it's and like, that that's, karma. That's the hot hells of screaming and fire and blades. But inside we go to the, like the cold hells. We freeze up. Yeah. We get hard. Yeah. We harden up, you, yeah. you know, or the points of the, the blades are turned inward. Yeah. And so, uh, so it's equally harmful. Yeah, that's and that's a point. And and you, but it's not illegal. Because <laughs> no, you didn't right, do you a didn't harmful do action to others, but right. you make yourself sick. We well, say it gives you ulcers, but now we would say it gives you tension or stress or, but you know, high blood pressure or heart attacks. But this is good to be aware of. You uptight. Yeah. It's good to be aware of. This is part it's of that development crucial. in 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 my mind. You you don't discount the shit that that you are absolutely creating through thoughts and yes. seeing them for what they are. Yes, right. so it's a shitstorm, but you know shit can be also used for manure or fertilizer, yeah. as Ch Chuggyum Trungpa pointed out. <laughs> so it depends what you do with it. You can compost it, or you can you know dump it on the next person that you see, or your habitual scapegoat, your wife, your kid, your employee. You know. Or on yourself, if you have a harsh inner tyrant, you're always blaming yourself more than you should. You need to. Yeah, to say the least. As if you're in charge of the world. <laughs> the movie of me you're producing. You know, the directing. movie of me, yeah. not not Krishna. You know, Lord Krishna's infinite cornucopia of birth, all birth and death coming out of his mouth. Yeah. But the movie of me that I'm directing, producing, and Starring. you know should get an Oscar for yeah. because I'm so brilliant. <laughs> Each of us are incredible. So, right. last thing from uh, Dilgo Gensi Rinpoche, which is one would say, okay, here is the bottom line cause of the movie of me and everything we've been talking about. It is of crucial importance, he says, to understand that holding on to the idea of there being a quote unquote I. A truly existing self is the fundamental cause of our wandering in the three realms of existence. Once this mistaken belief in an ego has taken root, we start clinging to my body, my mind, my name, my possessions, my family, and so forth. It is these notions that then make us crave pleasure and abhor pain. The result is an unceasing succession of alternating attraction and repulsion. And from these underlying urges arise the conflicting emotions that disturb our minds without 
respite. See, yes, Vilgo Kensi, he could have said, he could have ended that, that disturb our minds, period. But yeah. there's that without respite that right, just no, kills you. Yeah, it's, it's just killed. like, give it up. Haven't you had enough already of yeah. that <laughs> heroin? Oh. Without respite. Without my, respite. My guru, Nelson Kempo, wrote a short, uh, sang a short, spontaneous song about this, about beating helpless, beaten helplessly again and again by the surging and crashing waves of the conflicting emotions. <laughs> Isn't it time to give it up or get out of the water yeah. or something? Yeah, and the truth is until yeah. you really start suffering, you yeah. ain't going to no, do you, it. Sometimes you have to bottom out, or if you're lucky, get a little help from a friend. You know, Kalyana Mitra, Buddha mm. called a spiritual friend, which isn't a guru or a, a boss or an authority figure. Just, you know, somebody gives you a few tips like, oh, Maybe you should, could, you know, try being gluten free, and you wouldn't have stomach problems your whole life. It's not for everybody, but that's a good tip we never heard before. You know, recently, yeah. or oh, have you ever tried meditating instead of just drugging yourself? Mm. You know, try TM, try mindfulness, try yoga, try the contemplative arts. But now we are talking about this, and we haven't mentioned it. I mean, and I, yeah, we talked about effort, and right effort, of course, uh, is extraordinarily important because killing yourself every day to sit for three no. minutes ain't going to work. Uh, no, their motivations it need means to come balanced from a effort yeah. and appropriate effort. But it seems to me, though, that on any level. Uh, the importance of meditation practice, and and you must have thought this because you did it. You did three, the two, three. Did you do two, three, or more? Three, three year. Three, and two three, and a half. Two and a half. Yeah. yeah. So <coughs> you must have because thought it was important, right? So we got involved with that. What's that? With, because our guru, uh, resident guru, the Dujum Rinpoche, died. Yeah. At you know an ancient advanced age, so we got involved with that the prayers and rituals, okay, being lamas and all around that. But yes, uh, but why I still did you do it? I think it's important. Why did you, why did you sit for the first time? Okay, you made a decision. It's a big decision because you're in yeah. retreat for three years. Right, three years, three months, and, and three, three days. days. It's so a long time, it's like a thousand days What or prompted you to make that decision? Well, um, externally, my root guru, my, my main Tibetan first master, Kala Rinpoche, was always recommended that. It's just and, crazy every time you say, it's one he, after the other of the greatest lamas. And, and, well, I lived with him in Darjeeling mm. in the seven, early first half of the 70s. Yeah. And um, he started the first three-year retreats for Westerners. Mm. And he had been in a cave and done that kind of retreat. And he taught the Dalai Lama, Mahamudra, and yoga. So he was a very <clears throat> high-powered, energetic meditation master, even though he was skin and bones and being a Tibetan refugee and TB and coming down from the mountains into the jungle plains of India. But he recommended that, and he wanted us to do it, to get the full transmission and training and to import all the initiations and have that we could have our own experience not just beliefs. 
And then on the more inner side, I started to find out myself what I, I like to do, or I don't know if was good at is the right word. But, you know, I, I was never that much really for like foreign languages. So I didn't really spend a lot of time translating and studying Sanskrit, Tibetan and Hindi, like some of our friends did, or Bob Thurman, you mentioned. You know, I, I wasn't that good at philosophy and, I, you know, and things like that. I liked meditation and yoga and devotion and satsang and um, good deeds, you know, social activism. I was teaching English to lamas and living in refugee camps. And I thought that was important. And so then it seemed like that was the path. And, and so I started to have a few visions or experiences over several years and went to many 10-day Vipassana retreats and one month retreat and solo retreat. And so then the next thing was the three year retreat. So when I got a chance to do that in 1980, then I went and did it. And then the, it was great. I mean, it wasn't always easy, but it was great. And all the great Islamists came in there and taught us as we were kind of the guinea pig generation and um, the first Westerners doing that. And um, then when it was over, we all said, when's Consumer Che coming? When's the, you know, let's do another one. And so we built another retreat center and gave the, the really pucka, the, the, the well broken in retreat center to the, a new wave of Dharma students that wanted to do it. And we did it in a more funky farmhouse that we built a wall around with a smaller group. There's 13 of us, the second three year retreat. And I just didn't think there was anything else to do. Mm. I mean, of course, I, I, I was horny, and also I wanted to visit my parents, and I needed to, like, sell some stuff and get some money. But I just didn't – I didn't want to go to work or get married or, you know, go back – well, go back to India and be sick all the time and trying to stay somewhere for three months without the visa police chasing me. Yeah, right. So I did another three-year retreat with my retreat buddies. <laughs> who now form the Padmakara Translation Committee that translates oh, really? a lot of these oh. Tibetan texts in Dordogne, France. And then we started a third one, and then new, new students came, and mm. then I was invited to teach. And in fact, Fred von Ullmann, the Vipassana teacher in Switzerland, who I mentioned, came to Dordogne and asked Kinsey Rinpoche if I could come and teach his group in Switzerland. That's how I, in about, maybe it was 1988, and he and Charles Genoux brought me to Switzerland mm. to teach a Zogchen retreat to the Vipassana teachers and Vipassana students. And that's how I started teaching. Wow. Blessing. And then I brought Nyoshi Kempo there. Mm. And then, you know, it just went on from there. But I still make meditation my main practice. I do a little yoga. I do more uh, chanting and praying and write poetry and spiritual songs and things like that. A little devotional music. But more the foundation, again, more than philosophy yeah. or translating right. or scholarship, meditation every morning and also outside every day. Foundation, oh. then meditation, which is what I, when yeah. we talk about, there's no way there has to be practice involved because you've got to re uh, jigger all those neurons, yes. right? And right. that's what neuroscience think, says, and and it's all possible, yes. but it's 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 definitive and regular practice without thinking right. about results or anything yeah. whatsoever. Experiential just, practice, yeah. not just intellectual conceptual practice. Like we're all a little overeducated and under self understanding, so we had 
philosophy and all that and psychology, we didn't have wisdom and experiential so much in our so-called, quote, higher education. So this is a more higher, I think, and deeper education and develops wisdom for life, hmm. not just information era understanding. So Back um, to developing our interior selves. The inner and self. That, and that's the building block. And, uh, yes. Which... And that's something we do together, but we can also do alone, and we do alone together. And sometimes in groups, sometimes alone. Um, I coined the term co-meditation because I feel like I'm co-meditating whenever I see water. It kind of does it for me or the sound of waves or waterfalls. Or whenever I see the sky, just kind of a little dissolving and releasing into that. And you talked about generosity. letting A, a profound, important kind of generosity is letting go of attachment. So, so releasing your... Ego preoccupations is a very mm. good donation to the enlightenment of the world. Uh-huh. Yeah. Non-attachment yeah, may be the greatest form of giving. Yeah, that's <laughs> giving up yourself. <laughs> but that doesn't mean being a doormat or a right. vegetable. Yeah. There's the middle way. Yeah. All right. How about we're we're kind of at the end, but I wouldn't mind because uh, I just you started going then and the cloud and the sky and we, I started to get a little I was about co-meditating yeah, with co-meditating nature. with nature can we have a little uh, several minutes on, on that to end our time sure today? I'm just thinking about how, how yes so we're co-meditating together you and me and everybody here together and we're breathing together and we're in satsang true fellowship and sangha true true connection and connected by the elements that the earth that's in our body that is our bodies makes our bodies dust to dust and the water element that's the oceans and that's in our blood and fluids and so on fire and the heat in our body and all the elements natural elements and really awareness or presence is the ultimate all suffusing divine activating element. So let's just co-meditate in that, just breathing, relaxing together and smiling. If this was Instagram I was, or handheld, I'd say push the like button or tap twice and like this and heart this. Breathe, relax, center, and smile. Ah, nothing else needed to do, to understand, to remember, or to achieve. And enjoy the natural co-meditation, interbeing with things just as they are, intermeditating with reality, interbeing with things just as they are all together now in harmony and flow. Open mind, open heart, open and aware, luminous, Buddha in you, the
Letting go means letting things come and go, letting be, natural flow, imaho, wondrous, eureka, yes. Enjoy the joy of natural co-meditation, one with everything, one with one and all. Awakening together. Now, completing our co-meditation together by wishing that all beings who are just like us and want and need same as we do, may all be awakened, liberated, healed, happy, and free. May there be peace in this world and into violence, war, poverty, injustice, and oppression. And may we all together fulfill this glorious spiritual journey all the way home. Thankfulness and surrender is the way home. That is love. Omachigmala so adep Omachigmala so adep Omachigmala so adep Kapam and I bow to the Buddha, the light, the divine in you, in your seat. Don't overlook her. Mm. Wonderful. Wonderful and spacious. Thank you so much for joining me here today. You're welcome. Mama. Thank you. So great. Thank you for doing this and for being and for being such a friend for so many years, mm. Raghu. Yeah, so great. We are so fortunate. Uh, everybody, uh, Lama has a podcast on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and slash Surya Das. I guess, or the name of the podcast. It's called Awakening Now. 
or Awakening Now. Yes. Well, just go there. You'll see him. There's yeah. a picture of him there. I have a picture of, you know, we met in 19, when Maharaji left in 1973, because we weren't with him at the same time. You came later than I. I left earlier, whatever. And there we were. We had a group photo at Kenchi, and that's where we met. I remember. Wow. Wow, wow. wow. Just a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at 45. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's uh, giving up too it much. It goes fast. Yeah. <laughs> Time goes fast yeah. in a dream. Okay, everybody, you can get all of the notes about uh, what we've been talking about and links and all that stuff at uh, com slash mindrolling, and we shall see you next week. Ram Ram. Ram, keep rolling. <laughs> <laughs>